Welcome and happy Thursday. It's March 31st, 2016, last day of March, right before April Fool's Day, so we're not going to lie to you today. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Jaina Maleri, who's a producer of the podcast and an editor for the site. Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor for us and a frequent podcast guest. Paul Brady, who's one of our senior editors and man about the world. Why, and thank you. And my name is Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director for Condé Nast Traveler. We are sort of doing a special thing today because we did, right before we jumped on to record, we did a little Facebook Live inviting people to send in questions because our subject for the day is going to be ultimate travel hacks. So these are going to be secrets. These are going to be tips. These are going to be, you know, things related to places that we know and that we've heard and that we've picked up in our travels. And we're going to share those with you today. And we've invited our Facebook audience and our Twitter audience to send in their questions and their tips and um, their hacks. And we will shout those out if they come in while we're here recording. So where to start in all of this is always a question. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we can do is talk about trips themselves. Trips always start with the booking of the trip. And so I'm wondering if you guys could talk about any secrets that we could share with people about booking. Like when is the best time to book a trip to Europe, for example? Can we just start off by saying that there is no magic time date day of the week to book anything. What's this? There's a rumor, there's a there's a legend that like Tuesday is the day to book. So that, Paul, and Paul is Paul is much more about these things than I am, so I will say the basics and <laughs> he can You can pretty much them, always say you know, that. Exactly. Wow, I but, love this podcast. <laughs> the, the issue around, Tuesday is a legacy from when the computers that were used to, to, to input the fares, usually fare sales would be put in on a work, into the working week on a Monday, and by Tuesday the rivals had reacted and therefore matched the fare. Now, because the computers work so much faster, they're not taking a day to input new fares. So that magic Tuesday moment has gone. And it just is really important to say, sure, you, there, are, there are secrets to tracking airfares and getting the best price. But the idea that Saturday at 9.55 is somehow the magic time to book it is just never true. And never believe anyone who tells you that. Yeah, I think this idea of the magic time is really outmoded. And, you know, there are airfare deals, right? I mean, we track them on our website all the time, these sort of crazy fares, like $400 to fly to South Africa this summer, I think we had a, a couple of days ago. And I mean, that's an insane, rare deal, right? Most of the time, the airlines are going to give you a pretty good price. I mean, let's face it, to pay $400 to fly across the country with, you know, a movie and a drink and you're flying there safely. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. So I think the advice that I give people now is not to look so much for a, a deal, but just to buy the fare that's fair. Like, if it's a decent price and it's available to you on the flight you want, on the airline you like, that you're going to get miles on, just book it. Like, <laughs> the airfare is not going to be the biggest part of your trip cost. So, like, don't fret over a couple bucks when you're just going to pay, like, 20 bucks for a drink in the airport anyway. And I'm also not a fan. There's so many different... Skip Plag and all these all these sites which encourage you essentially to break the spirit of the contract with an airline and you just shouldn't dabble with that. You could get caught out. You'll end up getting your ticket cancelled. Explain what that is. The idea behind Skip Plag was if you want to get somewhere and it's too expensive to get there, book a ticket that is routed via your destination to somewhere else and just don't take the second leg. 
But what the airline will do is, on the way back, they could cancel your ticket because you didn't complete the flight. Uh-huh. Right. And so for the, for the cost of, you know, $30 that you save, you have to live through this nightmarish scenario of maybe having your flight canceled and you have to buy a last minute ticket. I think, you know, it always comes back to this idea of, of how much money are you really saving and what, what is it doing to improve or, you know, ruin your trip, right? I mean, is it worth it to pay $179 to be on the, on the old plane with the clunky interiors of the airline that you hate? Or is it worth it to pay $20 more to be on a great, you know, JetBlue flight watching TV on the way to where you're going, eating the free snacks that they have? So, you know, the airlines have made it complicated to compare the ultimate price that you're going to pay, but you got to be smarter than them and figure that out ahead of time and realize that, you know, the base fare is not always the final price you're going to pay. And the one last thing I would say about this, one thing I, that gives me peace of mind about flight problems is I always keep about 150,000 miles in my frequent flyer account so that if I ever need to buy a last minute ticket, I'm getting charged enormous amounts of frequent flyer miles for a last minute ticket rather than enormous amounts of money. So I like to keep a little cushion in there to make sure that that's what I can use. Do you guys have any thoughts about the relative values of bargain shopping just in an absolute sense versus trying to take frequent flyer miles or points into account with that? Do you have any personal sort of accounting system that you use with that do you or like are you really loyal and you just view that like you're willing to pay two hundred dollars more on a delta flight because that's where your loyalty program is what's the equation look like for you I have no loyalty. You have no loyalty. No, isn't that terrible? And this is ma- this podcast is actually making me rethink everything. I mean, there are certain airlines that I don't love to fly, so if I can avoid them, I won't. And obviously, if it's like a flight where I have to take many legs, I will usually opt against that just because I want to get there and I don't want to have to be on a bunch of different planes because I don't love to be on a plane. So, But I am always looking for, I think, the best deal, and that dictates how I get but where I'm going. the world is moving. I think you're right because what I'm <laughs> yes. learning... No, I, th- I think you're right. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, winning. I mean... I, no, I mean, I'm a Delta Diamond and it validates me immensely that I am Delta <laughs> top status. I recognize that. I keep it in my wallet. I carry it to dinner. I know I have it with me at all times. However... The benefits it gets me are increasingly irrelevant. Hmm. And what the airlines are telling us is, you know, we'd like your loyalty, but we don't need it. Mm-hmm. So if they don't if they don't give me much for my loyalty, I'd rather pay a bit more for each ticket and just pick where I'm flying and when. Right. And I'm seriously considering for 2017 budgeting differently and thinking... I'll pay for whatever I want instead of trying to get them to please give me a free bag for flying 125,000 miles a year. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to, right? It's it's what you're it's what you value as a traveler, you know. If you like being part of the program and you like the perks and you like the lounge access and you like the ability to cash in your points for say a business class upgrade for a special trip that you're taking, you right. know, to Europe or to Asia with your your family, you know, it's it's I think it's become a very personal calculation on what your value you know what what you value in travel. For me, I find that you know airfares are so low, and I would just rather pay a little bit each time and take the money on my cashback credit card and not have to deal with the devaluations and the uncertainty involved with miles. Um, you certainly can still get amazing things with your airline miles, and you see mileage bloggers that get these amazing like three room suites and all these things for like no points whatsoever but i just don't 
are those the like time to do stories? that? No, I mean, people are still cashing in on these things. I just don't have the time and interest in doing it. And so for me, I would rather just take the cash back. But I do think it's a personal choice for travelers. I also, the one last thing I would say, there's a great Twitter account, which is does not bombard you with tweets, which is at the flight deal. Mm. And it is a sort of secretive cabal of people who track crazy good deals. Not fat finger fair mistakes, but when airlines have cut prices significantly on something. And if you're interested in great destinations, follow at the flight deal and you'd be surprised what you can find. Do you guys use any utilities like Skyscanner or Hitlist or any of the, the apps that are available? that sort of feed the deals to you? Um, I, I like Google Flights and I like Kayak, both of which give you this sort of um, deluge of information. And, and some people, you know, don't like using Kayak because of that. I'm a super, you know, sort of geeky flight nerd, so I, I appreciate it. Hipmunk is another great one. And then, you know, my one like sort of warning flag for people is Southwest does not put their fares on these sites. So, it is almost as if Southwest doesn't exist, but of course it's the fourth largest airline in the United States. So you always have to remember to check southwest.com for their fares and compare those to what you find on the aggregators. But you do get them on Skyscanner. This do you is, really? Yeah, you do. I, uh, this, is, this was interesting recently. I used, when I was trying to book a, a, a round trip recently, um, and I used a bunch of these different utilities, including Hipmunk and a couple of the others. And I found that in several of the cases, I would get a deal on the, the service itself. And then when I would click through to it, the deal was gone. Like it was on JetBlue or wherever the airline was, it was gone. So I bounced over to Sky, uh, Skyscanner. Um, and there I was able to get a really solid correspondence between whatever they were telling me and what was actually available to me. And they did have uh, uh, Southwest included as well, which was pretty helpful. That's interesting, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, you know, all of it, because again, you're talking about, there is an origination for all of these fares, which is the airlines themselves, right? And so everything everything is coming through, it's very technical, but everything's coming through APIs. So I don't know where the point of breakdown is, but it seems like they, at least in my case, in this particular instance, they had a really solid line into whatever the, the actual data was. I will say the, the two things that I swear by, I love Airfare Watchdog. I think it's truly, it torpedoes any sense of, I need to buy at two o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday because it has real people constantly browsing the airline's websites looking for deals. And you say, I live in Orlando. I'm interested in flights to Atlanta, LA, and London. And you'll just get emails when there are deals on that. Yeah. But I also am a great fan of remembering about code share. I remember I had a flight I was booking to London on, and I opened my browser on Delta and I checked the flight. And then, of course, at Delta co-owns Virgin. So I opened a Firefox browser separately just to check what the, the same flight was on Virgin. Same ticket, same seat. And it was $200 cheaper on Virgin Atlant- atlanticcom Literally the same seat because it's a code share flight. Here's a here's a hack with that too that I've heard people say in the past is use an incognito browser when you're doing that mm. because they do they do cookie they do know who you are they do know what you spend and sometimes you can if you really want to get sort of a naked pr- price compare the price that you get as you the user which they're who when they know who you are versus the price you can get when you're anonymous and see which one of those two things so is better. So I wrote a book about this, Bargain Fever, available at, at any, anywhere books are sold. <laughs> Bargain Fever, how to shop in a discounted world. 
But the interesting... I did not set him up for that. But thank you so but much. I'm, but I'm happy that And it's did. great reading. There's You can get bargains. It'll tell you about our obsession with bargains, including about travel. And it is interesting because all the airlines deny that they do it. And it is one of those moments where you're like, I hope you have your fingers crossed when you say that. Yeah. Because British Airways was caught doing what it called personalized pricing, which is one of those euphemisms like polite racist, where it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Yeah, personalized pricing. It means you now see a higher price than you expected to, right? Like, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. You got your personal price because – so it is – exactly. The airlines will say they don't do that, but I use incognito browsing all the time. Yeah, to see what you really get. Um, Hitlist actually has an interesting feature. I mean one of the things that's a truism with this is you know, a bargain in one place or a bargain to one destination is not necessarily the same as a bargain to another destination. And one of the nice features that Hitlist has – is that they look at the history of the pricing to a particular destination and they can calibrate whether a price on a given moment constitutes a bargain within the context of that destination, of like the average price to that destination, which I think is a pretty cool feature and probably something that, you know, is helpful in the sense of like if you're not somebody who can sit there and watch it all the time, it's nice to have that push to you. In terms of points and rewards, you know, aside from the fact that maybe the world is moving away from these, both with hotels and with airlines, you know, this is something that people are passionate about. These, this is something people are obsessive about. Do you guys practice this? It sounds like you do, Mark. It sounds like you, you don't, Jaina. But I mean, it, it, can you get real bargains or is this ultimately a, a sort of shell game? That, that, th- like, are they the house at the casino? I think that the challenge is, for example, Delta this year did something which seems so innocuous but actually makes it almost impossible to interact with the SkyMars program anyway strategically because you can no longer find a, an awards chart that tells you what a flight should cost. You essentially throw a dart in the air and Delta tells you at that moment how many sky miles it will take from you to do that flight. So essentially you think, well, I I can't comparison shop. I don't know if that's worth it. So I think it's very hard. I think the airline points are increasingly irrelevant. Delta wants me to spend them on drinks in the Sky Club. And I think, well, in the Sky Club, I'd like free drinks, so that doesn't feel like a <laughs> first oh, of all great, doesn't feel like a great bargain, <laughs> given that it's supposed to be a bonus of my status. Yeah, right. But but I think the hotel points. We'll see what happens when Starwood is sold to somebody. But I think things like Star, you know, Starwood preferred guests, that is amazing. Yeah, and I think the hotels have a much simpler sort of value proposition as well, for the most part. I mean, that you can really get into the nitty-gritty of all these things. But it's much simpler, I think, for people to understand, okay, if I stay there 10 nights, I get a free night. Like, that that makes sense to you. Whereas, yeah, you get into this, like, I have 237,000 miles, but I'm on a Y fare class. I go, you know, upgrade over here. And it's sort of gets so complicated that you begin to wonder wh- why you're doing it in the first place, right? And so the hotels, you know, just making it super simple, I think keeps it relevant. The other thing, you know, travelers can earn those hotel points when they're traveling for business and then turn those into vacations when they're off work. And I think that's a really powerful tool for for travelers to take advantage of and not forget about, you know, if you're traveling 10 or 12 nights a year on business, which is something that a lot of people do, you could be earning free nights a weekend away. I mean, could, and, and a weekend know. away for your family, simply by doing nothing different at all except signing up for a free program. 
last free thing that I would talk about is car rentals, which have notoriously terrible points programs. But you sign up for free, and suddenly you have access to, with, without renting for a single day, you have access to the priority line at the airport, and you can get all the sort of extra perks that come with, you know, the same person who rents 100 days a year, you get the same perks, and, you know, you didn't really have to do anything. But I would also encourage you, I mean, it, it's in, in the new world of trying to get a bargain and everything, one of the things I learned about from my book was that you can, all you have to do is ask. Because I think we forget that negotiating is not an obnoxious, antagonistic gesture. If you call one of the car rental companies and you're like, hey, I'd love to rent from you. I'm aiming to rent from you. Can, can you make me loyal? Can I join your gold program? I don't. If you're nice and you negotiate, why wouldn't they make you a customer? So it's the same thing with hotels, the same thing, you know, when you're when you're checking into a hotel, if you if you want an upgrade, ask for one, but ask for one nicely. Yeah, it's all about being nice, right? And but being I mean, reasonable. But, yes, but, yeah, but, yeah, but of you course. know, asking I think people feel that if you're asking, you're immediately becoming a sort of give me a deal or, or give me a give me a better room where I walk away. Right, no, just right. ask nicely. Be yeah. the customer who that person on the front desk is like, finally, someone is smiling at me saying, hey, <laughs> how's your day? Can you give me a better room? Yeah, and there's nothing like a midweek upgrade, right, at, yeah. a, at a business hotel when you know those suites are empty anyway. So and it's a win-win. You say to them, thank you so much. Who do I email to say thank you for taking care of me so much? And they end up with probably the same way that some of the flight attendants, if they get a well-done chit from you, that will go. that will translate to money for them. You, you're nice, the, the check-in clerk, they they upgrade you. You say, can I email your GM and say how amazing you were? I love this when, one when? because it combines Jaina's constant mantra totally. on, the, on the podcast. The lady of the with, chocolate. With Redmond's, like, <laughs> be very aggressive, right? Like, it's like, right. be aggressive and be nice. nice. And but, everybody but, wins. But, but, but I'm saying, but it is a win-win. I'm a big believer even in a store. I mean, this is, you know, if you go into Bloomingdale's and you are – you say to the sales associate, I'm not from around here. They are empowered to give you a 10% discount for being a visitor. The same way if you just... That, I think, alone was worth listening to this podcast. I had no idea that was the case. <laughs> you say, I'm a visitor. And again, if you are polite enough, I'm sure they'll be flexible in their definition of a visitor. If you're like, give me a deal or I walk out of here, they'll think, mm, you know, I'd rather deal with someone nicer. Yeah. And it's the same thing. If you are assertive but smiley, every door opens. And bring chocolate. And bring chocolate. Always. <laughs> Always bring chocolate. Do you have chocolates now? So <laughs> you never bring chocolate to the podcast. That's true. I know. Maybe I'm not so nice after all. <laughs> well, we can't give you champagne. Well, we could give you champagne. We did give you champagne. All right, all right. Next you time had to host, but we okay. gave you champagne. All right. Um, okay, so we've booked our flight. We've we've used our rewards to book our flight or get an upgrade or get a great hotel room or free day, uh, free night in the hotel. Now we're going to pack. This is the one that everybody needs to know. So, Jaina, we're looking at you. Okay. You are the packing guru. You have done many and highly entertaining videos. Go to video.cntraveler.com. Check these out. All of our stop motion packing videos, by the way, are, are Jaina's work, um, and they are hilarious and entertaining and fun, and they're useful. So maybe you could start um, just by talking about some of the ones that you've done, because I know these are questions that plague the travel community Flat packing versus yes. rolling, yes. for example. Sure. We can talk about flat packing versus rolling. I hope that we don't come to blows because this is like <laughs> something that people feel so strongly about. But the correct answer, everyone, is flat packing. Don't roll. 
Anybody? What? Anybody? <laughs> anybody want? I'm so glad you said that because I'm with you on this. I mean, no, I but just, this is because of science, right? The, the science of me flat packing and then rolling in my living room and making a stop motion video of it, yes. Right, so this is the end, this is the last answer end to the this question. Yeah. This but please, end. please end. explain because I get exhausted arguing with people about this. So so give me the tools to tell shut down the did. wrong Tell people. us what you did. I mean, I can tell you what I did. So I took one piece of luggage and I took the same amount of clothing and I took, and it was a carry-on bag and I took enough clothes for a week and I experimented with rolling everything and then with flat packing everything. And I was short an entire look. So top to bottom when I tried the rolling. But with flat packing, I could fit everything easily, could have even squeezed in a few more things, like could have gotten in an extra pair of shoes. And Whoa, I, that's big. Oh, that's 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 a big difference. Yeah, that's major. So, and, you know, I know that there were, you know, a couple of people told me that they felt that it was because I am a bad roller. <laughs> I disagree. I think I'm an excellent you, roller. You had poor rolling skills. <laughs> I mean, people talk about how you need to roll things very, very tightly, but I think that's part of the beauty of flat packing is all you need to do is just strategically place things flat, and it's so easy, and that's also the way to get the most clothing into your suitcase. So I, I will never agree with rolling, even if I was, you know, like rolling everything to the size of, I don't know what, like a Tootsie Roll. It doesn't, it's just, then it's like I'm doing so much work. Exactly. And I know that on my way back, I have to do that as well. And I don't feel like doing that. So I think I always, always recommend flat packing. And I think it also, it's sort of, you know, it forces you to be organized in a way. It forces you to maybe, you know, the way that I do it is I sort of lay everything out and look at what I want to fit into the suitcase, and then I start laying things in. And it just, it seems to me every time that I pack with flat packing, you know, you can get to the point where you're, everything is pretty much in, but then you think, oh, if I could just like squeeze in one more cardigan. You can always squeeze in one more cardigan when you're flat packing. I cannot say the same for rolling. So we actually have a question from a Facebook fan here, Karina Fig, wants to hear a little bit about family travel, tips on family travel. And we've done a whole podcast on family travel, Karina, so I would encourage you to, to Google that or to check it out on iTunes. But she's asking, what's the best way to condense your belongings along with your baby toddler gear when you're using a budget airline that often lets you only bring a carry-on? And we're advocates, I think, generally speaking, of try to live your life in a carry-on. We've done a lot of work around this, um, and uh, we are huge uh, uh, fans of the carry-on. How do you achieve, she's asking, how do you achieve the less is more packing attitude when you have your little in tow? You flat pack. A, you flat pack. <laughs> B, I think depending on what age group we're talking about, I mean, baby clothes, obviously, they're so much smaller. And I think a lot of people already know this tip. You know, you can roll up your socks and your unmentionables and stuff them in your shoes. You could fit a whole baby wardrobe into a shoe, <laughs> you know, if you squish it in. So I feel like think about the spaces in those ways. But also I, I would still recommend, you know, keeping everything as flat as possible. And like if there are side pockets on your luggage, like, you know, stuff baby clothes into there, stuff little baby socks into there. But I would, you know, so I think it's just looking at your luggage and seeing, you know, like where are the sort of nooks and crannies and realizing that that's where all of the baby clothes should go. Yeah, and I think when 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 we did the family travel podcast and you know Pilar was here and Yolanda and we we had a bunch of parents in the room and I I'm a parent myself and I I've been through this and I think you know one of the things that Pilar was saying at the time was that you 
you you need far less than you think you need, um, especially with babies. And I think part of it is about being really, really, you know, sort of checking very carefully what you're bringing for the baby or the toddler. I think trying to really kind of remove the things that are rigid that can't be folded because if you are flat packing or if you're trying to get things in, you want to bring flexible stuff. And there are lots of different kinds of toys for kids that you certainly are going to want to bring. But if you opt for the less sort of rigid ones, that's going to give you more flexibility and let you really get things packed in. I think you need fewer diapers than you think you need. People tend to overpack this stuff. And generally speaking, you, you don't, you, you, it's, if you pack just for the flight or just for the flight and getting to your hotel, then depending on where you're going, in the world, but in most places in the world, you can take care of whatever needs you have once you get there. And so just really, really be hard on yourself about only taking the things that you need in order to, you know, clothe the toddler, clothe yourselves, and then get through the flight. And, you know, that will give you a smaller range of things that you're actually bringing. But I will say when I was, when I, as a child, I used to mock my mother for her obsession with not giving everyone in the family their own suitcase because, if one suitcase goes astray, then that person is without clothing. And I realize, I apologize to her publicly, that that was a brilliant idea, that if you are checking anything, one of the crucial things is to mingle your clothes. Because I think it's very easy to think, oh, give everyone a suitcase, we keep trying. No, give everyone a suitcase and think of it that way and then mingle it up a bit because otherwise your your partner might be in the wrong gender's clothes or your children might be in very large clothing right. that they don't right. fit. Right. Yeah, that's It's a great, great. question, though. Uh, you know, it shows a lot of like you know forethought about planning ahead for those airlines that do charge you for a carry-on or charge you for an oversized you know an oversized bag that you're taking and i would just say like you know there let's like call it a permission slip right that it's okay to check a bag you know like we try not to i think as travel editors who are always sort of you know running to the next assignment or trying to get to the airport in a hurry but like it's really nice to check your bag because then you don't have to keep track of it anymore. Right. So, yeah. you know, if you're on a budget airline that that charges for everything, oftentimes you can get a better deal for the checking a bag price when you pay it ahead of time online mm -hmm. than you would when you pay at the airport. So if you're planning that far ahead, maybe it's worth it to just decide we're going to check most of our stuff. We're going to get a good deal on the fee ahead of time and then we're not going to have to deal with it. Yeah, and I think the other thing about that, is, and again, this is hugely controversial, but um, we put a piece up on the site today that addresses that, the controversy over hard shell luggage versus soft luggage. And I, I'm a huge fan. I was the advocate for the soft luggage, and I know this is, this is fist fight material. But I do think that if you are in a situation where you can only bring a carry-on, I feel like you give yourself more flexibility with the soft luggage to find a space up there. And I don't just feel this. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. I've been able, since I switched to soft luggage, since I converted and saw the light on the road to Damascus, I have been able <laughs> on at least luggage two, two, two flights, I have been able to just waltz on. I got on a Southwest flight recently going to to Austin and I was in like their whatever three like the way end of the thing where you just know you're not going to be the last person the on last board. person yeah. on the plane you know there's nothing left and I found something and it was close to my seat and I just jammed the and I didn't damage anything it was just that like it, it fits into an awkward space <laughs> and I would also say in terms of luggage I, I am fascinated by the predominance of four wheeled carry on luggage and I don't understand why anyone would ever buy four wheeled carry on luggage 
because it is essentially like buying suede rain boots. You can only <laughs> wear them when it's not raining because if you ever have to check luggage with four wheels, those four wheels stick out like your hand not quite inside the subway carriage as you hit the tunnel and they break off. Yeah, if you so, check in a four-wheel bag, you get back a three-wheel three bag. bag. Yeah. So <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever buy a four-wheel bag unless you are group one. You're not in Brad's, will I, will I make it? Because those wheels snap off. And if you go to most of the major companies who offer to repair the bags, they will tell you that is fair wear and tear. And that will not be covered by their great repair policies. So I'm a great fan of old school soft sided luggage with inline wheels, which is nice and snug. That's like plastic rain boots. If it rains, it works. Right. 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 I'm about to travel tomorrow with both as an experiment so I right. can report back. Are you filming it? Maybe we'll film Video a little of it. Maybe. Hard shot and soft? Or? Yeah, because I have been soft. For my whole life, pretty much, but I just got some very cool hard shell luggage, so I figure I'll try both side by Four side. Four wheels or two? I think two. Good. Yeah, it'd be good. <laughs> um, have you come across any, because you're always looking at products, you've always got stuff coming through, have you found anything recently or seen anything recently that just felt like, this is magical, this solves a problem, uh, people should really use this? Um, well, there's some new luggage that's just coming out that we are going to be talking about on the site next week. Um, and I went to the launch party earlier this week and it's called Raiden. And it really kind of seems like game changing. Can we just luggage. talk about the fact that luggage has a launch party? It was a and it was a real scene. I <laughs> thought I would just do a quick stop by and I got there and felt sort of underdressed and not cool. For a luggage party. If you felt underdressed, it's a good thing we didn't go. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Style what was, why do you think it's a game changer? Um, I think because, you know, I feel like luggage more and more now, we are asking it to do so many more things. It used to be just like, it fits my stuff and it gets me to where I need to be. And so now more and more we want it to charge our devices or we want us to sort of tell us things or help us with things. And so what Raiden does is they have an app that syncs with the luggage. And so you can actually, you can weigh your luggage. So the app will tell you how much it weighs. So you can know before, you know, well before you're at the airport, if you need to sort of rethink your packing strategy. And it also, it will tell you once you, you know, you enter in sort of where you're going and where you are and it um, syncs with, you know, it has GPS so it can tell you what the traffic looks like so that you know how much time you need to allot to get to the airport on time. It will also give you estimated TSA wait times at the airport that you're about to go to. So it's talking luggage. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. And so, Raiden, um, how do we spell this? R-A-D-E-N. So it does all of those things. I think it also, I mean, it. Um, you can also charge your devices with it. You know, so it does all of those things, which is great, but it also is like... It, it looks good. It's really, really <laughs> is cool it, it like looking. Yeah, okay. yeah. So Soft or hard-sided? Hard-sided. But uh, in really... test. Yeah. Right. But it's really cool colors, you know, like 
there's some pastels. There are some, there's like a really good forest green. There's a really good navy. It comes in classic black. There's a white version that's really chic, I think. It comes in two sizes. So there's a carry-on and one that you would check. And you can track it so that you know, you know, so say you had to check your luggage. You can be tracking it so when you land, you can check to see just to make sure, you know, did Did it get here? If it didn't get here with me, then, you know, you can start to think about rather than waiting and getting increasingly insane at the baggage carousel, you can just know, okay, my luggage isn't here, so let me just like... Be the first one in line at the baggage office rather than the last person. Exactly. Yes. Right. That's so, actually, that's a big bonus. I mean, I've stood yeah. in, in lost luggage lines for an hour when there was a major problem with baggage handling. The idea that you would know first is right. a, is actually very helpful. Yeah, in you a, can in know a, as soon as you land. So, but yeah, but like I said, so it's all of those things, which is really cool. And I appreciate all of those sort of techie things, but I don't love it when something looks very techy, but these just look cool. Yeah, they look really cool. They're very clean design and they look, you know, they're super durable seemingly. I mean, we'll find out on the road test, right. but um, yeah, they're so cool. Yeah. And, and not super expensive, No, right? I think the carry-on is two ninety five. The um, the check is three ninety five, and I think you can buy the set for five ninety five. Wow! Yeah, launch party indeed. I know that's amazing. Yeah. All right, so we're at the airport now. What can we tell people about security lounges? We talked about lounges, and Mark, you've said some things before here about what to me were some very clever secret ways to deal with things when they go wrong. (laughs) Whenever things go wrong, one of my mantras with people is to say, remember, A, if something goes wrong with your flight, the lounge price day entry price might be 25 bucks. But then you walk up to a desk when there are not 50 people trying to rebook the flight. You have someone who has as much information, maybe not more, who's less stressed than the poor check-in agent at the gate, who's dealing with everyone saying what's happening to the flight, and you pay 25 bucks, and then you have a glass of wine while they fix it for you. So I would do that. I would also make sure that anytime something goes wrong, and if you can't get to the lounge, say you're in a different terminal, you can't get access to it, as you stand online at the uh, gate, get on the phone. Because you're essentially then waiting in two lines simultaneously. And often the people at central reservations will know more than the people at the gate do because they have more computer access. And I've had someone at central reservations solve a problem that the gate agent said, I I can't do that. And I had them both tag teaming very nicely and politely saying, hey, do you want to talk to each other? And the gate agent said, I can't do it. And And the phone agent said, I can, I'll sort it out. I got this. That's amazing. And I have a question about the lounges. Like, do you really, you know, how how hard is it to actually get into the lounges? Because I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but, you know, recently, (laughs) recently I went, you know, to a lounge for uh, I think it was Air France or some other European airline. 
absolutely nobody checking anything. And I just thought to myself, like, why would you ever pay for this? Like, just because you can just right walk in, in, like you. Well, Again, I'm a good at two shoes, but yes, I mean that's very. I've never, I've never gotten close to the bar without someone rugby tackling me for my <laughs> yeah, ID. That's how I, feel. I, I think that to me is very strange. I think lounges are weirdly secure in a way that we've all been security screened, so there's clearly no problem here. You do just need my ID. Yeah, I think you know. I think the answer to your problem, you know, in terms of getting into the lounges, is this app, which is called Lounge Buddy. And I, I feel like I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it's so genius that there is this air of mystery about the lounges, right? You know, you hear about there's a bar in there and there's snacks and there's sort of this frosted glass and there are bouncers, unless you're at the Air France lounge, apparently. But there are, you know, there are people kind of keeping you out and you're, you're sort of wondering what's going on in there. And Lounge Buddies is great, you know, app for whatever mobile device. And it tells you what's going on in there. You know, do they have free drinks? Do they have free food? Do they have, you know, showers if it's an international airport? Which ones are the best, typically? Um, well, you know, I think the one that everybody's gaga over now is the First Class Lounge in Doha, which, if I remember correctly, has an on-site tailor in case you need a bespoke suit on your layout. That happens to me so often. <laughs> I know, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are some of these lounges that are just, you know, clearly branding statements for the airlines and, and are all about being over the top for the sake of it. But, you know, I think to, to Mark's point, at any lounge that you're in when there's a snafu is the best lounge in the world, right? Like if you're getting taken care of and you have the opportunity to chill out and use free Wi-Fi, I mean, I can eat and drink $50 worth of stuff at the airport pretty fast. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and so, you know, Lounge Buddy gives you a clue ahead of time. You know, you put in your flight details, you put in, you know, what credit cards you have because sometimes credit cards can get you into lounges. And it does all this sort of math for you in a way and, and says, oh, you should go to this lounge. We have a deal for 25 bucks. You can get into this one. And it's, you know, more highly rated by our users than the other lounge that costs more. And so it's just a quick way to sort of double check and make sure, again, you're getting the value for your money. But, it, but do reframe. I think it's really important to reframe lounges in the sense that, look, don't get me wrong. I drink every time I'm in a lounge. I make the most of it as much as I can for all the freebies. But they really are the backstop for an emergency and you never feel more taken care of than when there's chaos at the airport and you're in this strange sanctum where people say, they paid you and they say, we've rebooked you, you're okay. And it's like having a mom, but for your <laughs> flight emergency. Which is great. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Okay. What do you do to maximize speed through security lines? Any secrets there? Shoes that do not tie. Yeah, I mean, that works. I mean, I think the big secret is sign up for global entry, which comes with pre-check, and then you get access to the pre-check line. But um, but I would also argue, I would also remember, I've been in strange situations where pre-check was longer than my airline priority line because, the, you know, the TSA, I think they cut back 10% of... They cut back staff by about 10% last year, and the pre-check sign-up hasn't been sort of smooth. And So don't always assume that pre-check will be the quickest. It should be, but scan the lines. And, you know, in a, in a harsh way, if you're not traveling with a family, I was always told by a flight, a flight attendant friend of mine said, you know, you just look and you're like, if there are kids in that line, that's the one that's going to be the longest. Yeah. And I've also heard complaints that there are so many people now signed up for pre-check that the benefits are kind of diminishing as you go through. 
Um, yeah, it's funny. It's the one. I think it's the one part of the airport experience that's not really hackable because it's sort of out of everyone's hands. You know, the travelers don't control it. The airlines don't really have control over it, and so you just have to get there early. And and it's kind of unfortunate, but oh well. Yeah. Okay. So now we've gone through the airport. We've enjoyed our lounge and our free drinks and our rebooking. We're on the flight. What are the secrets to, uh, particularly to longer flights? But what are the what are the secrets to sleeping on a plane? Anybody have any special tips for that? Anything that you've found? I just found a new device that I'm slightly obsessed with. I I, I always take a sleeping pill on the plane because I'm not averse to using. Well, that's chemicals. not new. Exactly. No, but, <laughs> but I wake up it is very a hacker. easily. <laughs> I wake up very easily with the light, and there is a device that someone sent me to try, and I'm totally sold on called Pocket Nap, and it's a it folds up into a tiny little little pocket sized gizmo. But it has, essentially, instead of being a face mask that sits on your face so you're conscious of it, it, it is a ring that gives you your own personal f- head tent. And while you may <laughs> your feel... Do people tent? hit you when you wear this on the plane? No. People think, you lucky man, you look like you're asleep. Just like first-class sleeper. Again, you if you go if you buy a first-class sleeper, it is a body pillow. And you feel so self-conscious... You put it put it behind you on the seat in economy, and you blow at your shoulder, and it slowly fills in the space around you, sort of like an orthopedic rest. <laughs> and you're all laughing because you've never tried it. <laughs> what it essentially I've definitely never tried it. That's so true. what first class sleeper does, you have to get past the embarrassment, just like with pocket nap, of everyone thinking who's the crazy guy, because you're the smart person. Really, it creates a flat plane for you in an economy seat. So you buckle yourself in at 45 degrees, so it's a lay-flat bed at 45 degrees, and suddenly <laughs> you can sleep far more easily. You laugh, Paul. I'll make you a bet. Why don't you try it, and then we'll ask again if you like. I have to try it out. I have to try it out. I, I'm, I, I'm nervous too, but I should. You mock this, me, but you're welcome, this actually. Needs to be, this needs to be First class sleeper. Write it down. First class sleeper. Okay. Have you guys ever had success with any of the tricks to sort of getting moved? Any any secret to sort of getting the flight the flight crew to let you you know bump up to business class, bump up to chocolate, chocolate, yeah, chocolate. Maybe that. not bumped up to business class, but they'll bring you presents from business class. I've had that happen every time that I've done it. They give you champagne. I got a really really nice dop kit once. And they just remember you and are it's just it's just a nicer experience. I feel like if I'm, you know, being the annoying one who like really needs to get by to use the restroom while they're trying to come down with the drinks cart, you know, they it's like this moment of recognition, like, oh, that's the chocolate girl. And then it's like, oh, like, let me make some room for you so that you can get by. It's great. I have a hack that has not worked for me recently, which I want to flag here for people, which I've always heard this idea that, you know, you can order the special meal ahead yeah. of time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like the vegetarian meal or the kosher meal or this sort of, you know, whatever. If you're going to Asia, oftentimes they'll have a, you know, a Japanese style meal. You should order that, and then you'll be the first person to get your meal because they bring them out right. early, right? And so that was this sort of, you know, that's what everybody thought would happen. And I tried that on a recent flight, and both going and coming back from Germany, they forgot. 
And so not so only did I not get it food. first, no, yeah. I just I just got the regular meal when it came, you know, on the cart. And then, uh, you know, on the flight back. So the first flight, totally forgot about it. Don't know if it was even on the plane. Yeah. On the way back, they brought me the regular meal. And, of course, I'm happy to eat the regular meal. I'm not too particular about it. And then after meal service, they came back up and they said, oh, my God, we have your special meal. <laughs> so, oh, that's fine. I've already had something. <laughs> So, the, the, so that apparently does not work also, if you're me. The, re, the reason you don't want to order a special meal is it is impossible to upgrade you if you are anchored to your seat by a special meal. Oh, that's meal. interesting. I didn't think of that. So if you require a kosher meal, a Japanese-style meal, and you're in economy, you will be taken off the upgrade list because they will not have a way to feed you in business. So remember that those special meals, you forfeit your potential upgrade chip. Interesting. Didn't know that. Um, that's kind of like an anti-hack. Well, it's worth rem- it's worth remembering. If you do have dietary restrictions and you want an upgrade, bring some food with you, mm. and then you can feed yourself wherever you are, and you'll still have a comfy seat. But you will not get upgraded by the airline because they will worry about feeding you an economy meal and business, and you will just get taken off the list. I mean, speaking of meals, do you guys have any hacks for for eating? Like, people relentlessly complain about airline food. We've done a lot of reporting on this over the years. Um, what do you guys do? Do you just grin and bear it? You've said, Mark, in, in the past, like nothing, <laughs> we get in trouble for this, nothing that you've been told by nothing, dietitians. Yeah, the dietitians, nothing that is served to you on a plane is healthful. Nothing. So do not eat on a plane if you want to eat well. So do you eat? If I'm flying back from London and I take a Delta plane, not a Virgin plane, Delta has a salad option in addition to all of the incredibly microwaved items. And the salad option comes with a piece of fruit, a grilled chicken, and lettuce. So I'll eat that. But I feel like one thing that I do, other than eat Fritos when I'm on a plane, is... um, (laughs) Healthily. (laughs) Is, I think because, you know, your senses are sort of dulled when you're flying, and that's, I think, you know, people have talked a lot about how that is a big part of why. I mean, the airplane food, it's, like, maybe not great to begin with, but then if your sense of smell, your sense of taste is a little bit dull, it's only going to make it worse. So I always bring food when I fly, and I try and bring things that are, like, not, you know, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but I don't want to be offensive to anyone, so I don't want to bring anything that's, like, you know, like sardines or something that everyone's going to want to kill me. But I think that when you're flying, it's a really good time to bring things that are like very savory or, you know, maybe slightly more salty or more like actually. Intensive flavors. Yeah. There's um, there's a potato chip brand, McClure's, and they make a Bloody Mary flavored potato chip. And it's like perfect, perfect on a plane. Perfect because a plane. our taste buds, that's why bloody, because tomato juice right. is the thing that everyone drinks on a plane because it's teed up for our taste buds. Exactly. So this is feet. like, has that, it has all of those, it has that like flavor profile, but it's a chip. So it's salty as well. So I feel like, you know, so I'll bring something like that or like, you know, a really amazing like granola bar that is made with olive oil and has peanut butter in it, like things that you will actually be able to taste. I would eat one of those right now. Exactly. I'm yeah. starving. Delicious. Um, so I try to we do need, that. We need snacks as the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Question from one of our Facebook folks. And this is, we're, we're diverging our trip here, but um, Falguni Kakar Patel, uh, apologies if I'm getting that wrong, um, is, is asking, what is there a best tour or cruise for a trip to Antarctica? Wow, everybody's looking at me. Um, well, I would I would recommend getting there yeah, on a cruise ship. 
<laughs> but it, I, I don't know off the top of my head the best way, uh, you know, or the sort of, you know, end all be all best cruise ship. But but a couple pieces of advice that I would give are, you know, one, book it really, really, really far in advance, right? Because the window to visit Antarctica is about four months. And a lot of people want to go there because, as we all know, the climate is changing and people are terrified that, you know, these ice shelves are going to melt into the ocean. And there really might not be a lot of time to see these environments in the way that they are. This happens in the South Pole, um, but also in the Arctic. And, and Canada has seen a big up, upturn in visitors that want to see, you know, the Canadian Arctic for the same reason. You see cruises going to Greenland for the same reason. The other thing is the Drake Passage, which is between you know uh, Patagonia and Antarctica, is notoriously bad. So take tons of motion sickness pills. Okay, those are good. One other one uh, from Scarlet Traveler is asking if we have any tips for preserving circadian rhythms. Do you guys have any secrets to resetting for a new time zone or acclimating once you get there? I'm bad usually with jet lag, but what I try to do is just jump into the local time as much as I can. So try not to take a nap. It's really hard to do, but I think if you can just like tough it out and just no matter when you get in, so it's like just go to bed at your normal time wherever you are. Sometimes that helps me. Don't a you think? Bit. I it, it always irritates me when the advice about circadian rhythms is for the two weeks beforehand, go to bed slowly, half an hour early, and you just think, whose life is convenient? Where you think, oh, I'll restructure it. No, when you land, sure, because you could do that. I'm sure that would work, but no one can do that. I always think 10 p.m. is the magic number. So wherever you land, you get there and you do not nap and you get out in the sunshine, you get it fresh air, you do all those basic things, walk around. Yeah. Get out. I was a tour guide. I used to take Americans around Europe for a long time, and they would always land with jet lag, and you go straight out, and you get straight into the fresh air, and then you give yourself that 10 p.m. Even if you go to bed at 9.59, that's still okay, but you say 10 p.m. and stay awake till that, and it will have a magical effect. Yeah, I do the same thing. And it's it's interesting, you know, their airline manufacturers are trying to solve this problem now on the on the Boeing 787 and the Airbus A350 both have these sort of they you know, they market them as mood lighting, which I'm not sure is really the right term, but you know, all these sort of amazing sort of LED light patterns that they will adjust, the crew will adjust to to sort of put you to sleep and then on arrival sort of wake you up. And you know, I don't know if it's placebo effect or not, but I've been on these planes and and you do feel better when you arrive and you do feel like whether it's even a placebo or not, a, who cares if it works? Yeah, totally. It works, it works, and you arrive from an overnight flight and somehow you do feel refreshed and able to play through, right, until that the night time in your destination. And I think it's that first day, right, that's the hardest. And yeah. if you can beat that, then then you're great. Okay, so now we're there, we're at our location, we're staying at a hotel. What what are the secrets of hotels? Like, first of all, what how what's the best way to complain? Like if you have a problem at a hotel. <laughs> Politely. <laughs> with chocolate. <laughs> I think the, the, the key to complaining, and I, I, I was talking to a hotelier about this in LA last week when I was there, is that sending a, sending a complaint about a hotel when you have left takes away the hotel's ability to solve it. Right, absolutely. So the hotelier said to me, I, I checked some guests out, and I said, how was your stay? They said it was great. We had a great time. And he said, six hours later, I got an email from them and they said, we got to the airport. We were thinking we didn't have a good time, actually. And here's why. And he said they clearly had been too embarrassed to say something. He said, but if I had 
interacted with them, if they'd said the room was noisy, I would have moved them. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing that's worth remembering about complaining is, in any scenario, A, you need to complain when it can be fixed. And B, you need to tell the person to whom you are complaining what will make you happy. Because it's a bit like, do you want to be a five-year-old who says, Mummy, I want I want some candy, or do you want to be an 18-month-old who just screams and can't articulate it? You want to be the five-year-old, because mommy will give you candy. I'm definitely aspiring for five-year-olds. <laughs> no, but you know, say, I'm unhappy with my room, it's a bit noisy, I would appreciate a bottle of wine to say sorry for putting me in a room you know is noisy, and a quieter room. Mm -hmm. And most travel providers will think, great. Is that all it is? Check. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we yeah. can do that. Have you guys ever found ways of getting little upgrades or bonuses? Do you actually ask, like, hey, can I get a bigger suite for the same price? Like, what what are the secrets to doing that? Yeah, I think the secret is asking, you know? Uh, and, be and, bold. And, yeah, be bold. Be, be unashamed of asking uh, what you want. And, you know, I think in a lot of tourist destinations, you know, people are used to bargaining and, you know, paying to play, basically. You know, Las Vegas is sort of famous for the idea of the $20 at, at check-in and, and see if you get an upgrade. And I was just going to say, so I go to Las Vegas a lot. I've written about how it's one of my favorite places in the world. And I go often with a friend of mine who I gamble with. And he, the first time I went with him, he said... I put 50 bucks under the, the, the credit card. Oh, it's up to 50 in. now. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, isn't that, that won't get us anywhere. And he's like, just watch. And every time he does it, we get a suite each. Wow. Because that check-in clerk palms the money, which they're entitled to do, and puts you in one of the empty rooms that they can put someone in. Yeah. So I've watched that work, having been a cynic, and I would do it myself now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's I, I think there is this element, you know, people feel a little like crass talking about money or, or it feels like some sort of, you know, payoff or something. But, you know, a lot of these places like money talks and money is is the way that they work. And that's how, you know, that's how Las Vegas is built for sure. But other tourist destinations, too, you know, it goes a long way. And I think. You know, it comes back to, yes, being polite. Nobody likes a pushy, you know, weird person who's like wheeling and dealing, you know, but it, it's being polite, but it's also being reasonable in what you're asking for. Right. You know, you're not going to get the presidential suite for ten dollars and you're not going to get, you know, the best table in the restaurant at 8 p.m. on a Saturday because you, you know, are winking at the maitre d' or something. You know, it's got you have to calibrate your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. For what for what the deal is. But um yeah, don't be afraid. I mean, that's why we travel, right? Is to inhabit sort of other selves and and be you know more bold than we are at home. That's one reason to travel, anyway. Um, so why not? Why not try it? And yeah. sweets are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, concierges useful for show? Do you guys actually leverage the concierge? Is that something? <gasps> I'm understanding understanding how the business works, I would always assume that every recommendation the concierge has is really convenient because they will make some money out of recommending it. I don't think there's anything such thing as a neutral concierge. However, if you want to get an impossible reservation, you give the concierge 50 bucks, you can get that. I wouldn't ask the concierge for advice, but I would go to London and say to a high-end concierge, I want dinner at the Chilton Firehouse, can you fix it for me? So that's a different way of thinking it. They have their friends that they'll get kickbacks from. I don't want that, but I do want their access. Yeah, I think it's I think it depends on the destination too, you know, like would I use a concierge in Philadelphia? Probably not. 
Um, but I was on a business trip of all things to Marrakesh in Morocco recently. And, you know, I had one day off that I could do something with before I had to go to the airport. And I don't really know Morocco. I certainly, you know, don't speak Arabic. And I went to the concierge and I said, look, I want to go out to this retreat in the desert that I've heard about. It's supposed to be very wonderful. Can you arrange a lunch there, a tour there, and transportation to get me to and from? Now, does the concierge have skin in the game? For sure. Do I care? Of course not. I want to do that. And so I'm happy to pay for the experience and make sure to tip the concierge for arranging it for me. Um, but on my business trip, like that's this great thing that I come home remembering. And that concierge was able to do it in no time at all. And it would have taken me hours. And maybe I wouldn't have done it. It would have been convenient. And so for me, it depends on, on where you're going and what you're trying to do. Great. Well, listen, um, I think uh, let's give a, a little bit of thanks to some of the folks who sent in questions on Facebook. Um, B. Johnson, Scarlett, Myron, Falguni, Sarah, Laura, and Karina. And thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. Thanks to all of you for being here. That was Those were really great tips. Don't forget to visit us at cntraveler.com where you can find many of these tips in articles and videos and that kind of thing. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Pocket Casts. Um, we are also on SoundCloud. And we are at CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Paul, where can, where can the people find you? Oh, you can tweet at me at P underscore Brady. Great. Mark? And you can tweet at me at Mark with a K, J Elwood with two L's. Jaina? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at JWMalary and on Snapchat at Jana Malary. And I'm at Bradrick, and we would love to get your questions, your feedback. Um, we will do these again, so please send us questions. We will eventually get around to answering them or trying to answer them. And I have to say, can I just say, someone did tweet me this week. I have to say thank you to Jennifer Weatherhead for tweeting me and saying, I like, I like how opinionated you are. <laughs> And we like how opinionated you are. Thank you, Jennifer. We would have it no other way. Thank you, Jennifer. um, And we will see everybody next week. Have a great weekend, everyone.